Thank you for joining the online ministry of Little River Church. May you be blessed by the Word of God. Um, thank you all for being here. I'm going to the book of Job tonight. Book of Job. I got, I got a little bit of scripture. I got a little bit of scripture. But uh, we're going to try to get through it. I, I'm, I'm on a time limit. And we're going to do everything we can to make it happen. But we're going to do everything we can to make it happen. That's what we're going to do. So, of course, I'd like to give honor to my wife for being here. Always a pleasure to have her serving with me. Uh, book of Job, chapter 1. Then we'll go to chapter 2 and finish with the finale of Job, chapter 42. Job, chapter 1, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence cometh thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is, no, there is none like him in the earth? a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and ensueth evil. I practiced that word today. I'm not going to say it the second time because I'm not sure if I'm saying it right now, but it means to avoid, so I'm going to say avoid next time. And avoids evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doeth Job fear God for not? Hast, thou, hast not thou made a hedge about him and about his house? And about all he hath on every side. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thy face. He will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself, but not forth. Put not forth your hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And we go to Job chapter 2. I'm going to skip down to the part of uh, verse 3. And the Lord said unto Satan, they had gathered again, the sons of God, and Satan showed up again. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? For there is none like him in the earth, a, a perfect an upright man, one that feareth God and avoideth evil. And still he hold fast his integrity, although you movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yeah, all the man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And we know the Lord gives... Satan permission and tells him, hey, he's in your hand, but don't kill him. Save his life. Everything else, he, he's in your hands. And uh, Satan went forth to the presence of the Lord and smote Job with the sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And then we get to the finale, the part that we all love about Job. Job 42, verses 10, 11, and 12. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed with, for his friends. And also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came there unto him all his brethren and all his sisters 
and all they that had been of his acquaintance before did eat bread with him in his house and they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him every man also gave him a piece of money and everyone an earring of gold so the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than the beginning I'm going to speak tonight for just a little bit on made for this you are made for this Lord we thank you tonight thank you for this opportunity to be in your house God we ask you to use me as a vessel Lord that I may be able to speak the words that you have laid on my heart just use me as a vessel remove any air from my mouth and my tongue Lord I may be able to speak the words that you have called me to speak for your people we ask you to find good ground in Jesus name we pray amen and you may be seated all right, got about 16 minutes left. Now, we're going to do everything we can, but I want the Lord to do what he wants to do, and I'm going to try not to get in his way. Um, so I've heard it said, in the end, you start to think about the beginning. And I wonder if at the end of Job's life, did he think about the struggles that he had had? Because it goes on to say at the end of 42, they lived many more years, and he's seen four generations and his days were full, and he died. But I wonder if at the end, if after all the, the increase, the double portion, and the blessing that was better in the latter than the beginning, if he thought about the struggle in times that he had, the times of the despair and the times of loss, the times of pain, pain in his body, pain of the people around him not believing in him. And if he did think back on that, I wonder if he rejoiced a little bit. I wonder if he rejoiced in the thought that he had some struggles, that the Lord gave him some struggles, and I wonder if he thanked him for it, thanked for the struggle and the loss and the despair and the pain. Now, that, seemed, that, that would seem wild who would rejoice in that, but we can be sure that he rejoiced and thanked God for the increase and the blessings in the latter part of his life, but I wonder if he thanked him for the struggles as well. And... We wonder that, I wonder that, and we'll get to that a little later in the message. Uh, as some of you know, I mentioned earlier, my beautiful wife is here, Carissa. We just celebrated our one-year anniversary this week. We went to Destin, that's why we weren't here Sunday, but I was telling Brother Nutter earlier, we were in a diner Sunday morning, and they put us in the back corner, and there was like three people in there, and I said, oh, y'all messed up now. So we just put the message on at the table and listened to it right there. And so that was probably God. They put us back in the back because we, we, we pulled it up and there were some amens. And that's right. There you go, brother. Ooh, that's good. I like that. <laughs> like, so, so we was all the way from Tickfall. It was all the way down in Destin, Florida, too. So thank you, brother. Nutter, for a wonderful word. And uh, but so we just celebrated our one year anniversary. And a lot of people told us, hey, that first year, that's going to be your toughest. And if that's true, it'll be a lot easier than I thought. It'll be a lot easier than I thought. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I know there's things that I can't even imagine to begin to plan for and things that are going to happen. But I take joy and, and I'm so thankful that I feel the way I do now after a year when a lot of people said, oh, it's going to be you don't want to kill each other. I mean... They're, they're going to kill each other in the beginning. So uh, it was, it's been amazing, and I'm thankful for that. 
So, as I said, in the end, you start to think about the beginning. And so at the end of our first year, I started thinking about the beginning of our story and how before we got married, we were engaged and we were dating. Before that, we were friends, and before that, we were strangers. And that led me to think of how I got here. It's just a trail. It just starts going all the way back, and you start thinking of the whole story and uh, how I got here to Louisiana before I met Carissa. And I was here, but I wasn't doing much, and I was complaining. I didn't have a girlfriend. I didn't have a career I enjoyed, and my ministry wasn't taking off like I thought it was supposed to be taking off. And uh, I was down here, but I wasn't really involved. I wasn't being used a whole lot. Before that, I wasn't even living here. And it's just amazing to me how you can look back and how one thing leads to another, and you can watch the steps unfold and then be able to look back and see how it all happened. And I can see, like, where the issues were and why I was stagnant looking back now. But at the, at the time, of course, I was frustrated and I was in the situation, so I was, I was complaining about the situation. But being able to look back now at it is like, oh, man, like, man, you, you did more than I asked you to do. You just did it in a way better way that I had no idea how you were doing it. And uh, so that, that, that obviously that helped me grow and, uh, and be more appreciative of what I have. So I cherish my wife, and I cherish my wife for several reasons, but mostly because I remember the hole that I had before she was in my life. And I cherish my job because I remember some of the people that I worked for before I worked for the people I work for now. I remember some of the jobs I had before that, and I'm able to look back and see that. And I cherish my ministry, obviously, for several reasons, but one major one is because I remember what it was like thinking I didn't, maybe I didn't have one. Or maybe I missed it because I was being a knucklehead and thinking I should be doing this, and Lord, I got it. I appreciate the vision, but I know how to get there. And then I was sitting there and complaining, thinking I missed it. So I was sitting there frustrated, so I, I cherish my ministry more now because of a struggle that I had, being able to come to it. And now looking back at it, it, I respect it more and I appreciate it more. So I was obedient in coming here. And I had faith knowing that the Lord could do what he said. But I still had the idea of I know how to get there. Thank you for telling me what you want to do in my life. I know how to get there, and I know a very efficient way to get me straight to where you want me to go. Don't worry about it. And, and I said this before. It, it's so funny because I view my, my relationship with the Lord, it, it really feels like a father-son relationship, and he kind of let me do a little bit, and then he was like, okay, yeah, that didn't work like you thought, did it? Look, this is the way we should go. You just listen to the obedience. You handle the faith. Let me do the planning, and you just follow what I say. And I was like, okay, yeah, years works a lot better. Because when I moved down here, I just wanted to be used at church. I, did not, I didn't want to get married, and I sure didn't want to get a career job down here, and I ended up getting all of it. So he did way more than I wanted him to do, and it was way better. So I'm thankful for his plan that it worked out, and, and finally old knucklehead Nathan got out of the way. But um, I, I, I was trying to force certain things and avoid other things, and I finally let go of the reins, and I let go of control of my life, and was more like, okay, you, you've impressed me to be here. Let's do it your way. I, obviously, my way doesn't work. 
And then that's when I started seeing the growth, and that's when I started seeing the movement. And uh, since then, I'd love to say it's been all sunshine and rainbows, and it was easy walking down easy street, but it hasn't been that way, and I'm sure plenty of people can attest to that. Yes, I met my wife, and yes, I got a career, and yes, my ministry grew, but there were some trials in there, and there were some struggles in there along the way. There were some growing pains in there along the way. But you know what? I'm fine with that. Some people may say, do what? You fine with trials and struggles and pain? I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. And there's a reason. There's several reasons. But there's a reason why I feel that way. Because with the struggle and the trials, there has to be a little trust in there from the Lord that you can handle what you're going through. So, and I'll, and I'll touch more on that in a, in a bit, but it, there's, there's a, a bit of trust that he has to have in you to be able to know I equipped him, I set him here, he should be able to handle this. We'll put it on him, and let's see if he can handle it. There's a way where you have to be able to take what he has equipped you to do, trained you to do, and then you have to be able to overcome that. You have to be able to go from the beginning to the end. Because he's going to go with you, but you have to go as well. And uh, so a lot of people, I've said before, a lot of people want the blessing of Job. They want the increase, but nobody wants the testimony. Nobody wants to have to tell the story that Job told on how it all came about. And I don't blame them. I don't either. I was, when I read a story... In the Bible, or when I hear someone tell a story, I try to put myself in that situation. Like, man, how would I react? And I tried to do it with Job, and I, I bailed. I bailed out. I was like, no way. I don't want any part of that. That is, that is brutal. And uh, I'd like to say, hey, if the Lord did that to me, I'd be able to make it through. But I think, I mean, I think everybody would like to say it, but I don't know, and I don't really want to find out. <laughs> not, that, not to that extreme. But, uh, but I, I can't. I can't imagine anyone raising their hand and volunteering for Job's testimony. Yes, I'll take boils from, my head, from the head to my toes. And I'll, I'll lose everything I got. And I'll go from the, from the richest man in the East and, and then just lose a bunch of stuff. I don't know how many people would raise their hand because I know I wouldn't. But I have to assume that, like I said, I have to assume nobody would volunteer. But Job didn't volunteer. God volunteered Job. God volunteered Job. Matter of fact, he's talking to Satan. He said, well, did you think about Job? Job just sitting over there. Just, just, just hanging out. Got his, got his cattle, got his sheep, got his beautiful family, got his, all his servants and handmaidens, and no idea what was coming. He said, well, did you think about Job? Because Job's perfect and upright. And he fears the Lord. Well, you got your hand around him. Of course he does. Well, we'll take all that away. Let's, let's go try him out now. And I feel that Job faced the struggles that he had simply because God believed he could handle what he had. God believed he could handle whatever Satan decides to throw at him. I've equipped Job enough, and Job made up in his mind, and he's given me control, so he's going to go all the way through. He's going to go all the way through of what, whatever you have against him. He ain't wavering. He ain't wavering. And uh, 
Now, we know, we know the story. We know that there's some, there was some complaining in there, and there were some upset people, and, and a lot of people left him, and he was down and out. But I, I grew up thinking Job didn't complain. When I heard the story as a little kid, I was like, man, that guy just took everything and just never complained the way I heard it. He was just like the perfect guy. And then I read it for myself, and I was like, oh, no, he is a human. <laughs> he did, he did kind of was like, hey, little man, what's the deal here? But, uh, but, he, but he, never just, he never turned his back. And that's, that's it. He endured. He didn't want to endure, but he didn't have a choice in the matter. But it's like Peter said, where would we go? You got the words of life. Where would we go? It's like Job said, well, where am I, like, what am I going to do? You're God of everything. You're almighty. What am I going to do? I, I'm just, I got to take it. I got, I'm trying to figure out why. I'm trying to figure out why. I'm trying to get some counseling. But other than that, I, I just got to keep going. I just got to keep going. So there's, there's obviously God's going to put you, I, I think God will put you through some things just, just because he's equipped you to handle it. A lot is for growth, of course, a deeper walk and, and trust for him. But sometimes I believe it's just to prove that old lying, cheating, stealing adversary that he's my child and he's going to make it. And you can come against him all you want to, but he's chose to follow me and trust in me to the end. And that's just all there is to it. You can try that stuff if you want to, devil. But you're going to be extremely disappointed in the outcome. Because he's decided to come with me all the way. And there, there's, there's nothing like that. And I believe, I believe strongly that, that the Lord never, I don't believe he ever questioned it. I don't believe he ever was like, man, I don't know if Job can do this or not. Maybe, maybe he ain't his tough stuff. No. No, he said, Satan, you go after him and go get him. And, what, and that's, my man's ready. My man's perfect and upright. And so he wasn't, Job wasn't cheerful in his misery, and he wasn't happy in the loss of everything. But he still went. He never stopped living for the Lord. He never cursed the Lord even when his wife told him to. He never gave up. He never threw in the towel, and he never walked away. He endured. So just like you have to take, you have what it takes to keep the faith and to trust in the Lord in situations that you're facing, in situations that we're facing, in trials and troubles that we're going through. We've been equipped for the battle that is set before us. Now, we got help on the hills, right? And the Lord comes, we, we can look to the hills and that's where our help coming from. That comes from the Lord. But he's also equipped us for battle that we're in, that we can still fight. Now, he'll fight it for us, but we got to be willing to fight it. He's going to give us what it takes to make it through but we got to use what he has given us in order to make it through. Thank you, Jesus. So that's fine. That's, uh, that, that's what, that's what the, that the Lord is, is willing to do for us. And, and even though your situation may seem like their only way out, I know, I know people that say the only way out is a miracle. It's the only way I'm going to get out of this. There ain't no other way about it. Uh, there's nothing I can do. I just need a miracle. God's going to have to come in and, and intervene in, in my favor and, and just give us a miracle. Good news. He's a miracle-working, promise-keeping God. That's his specialty. That's his specialty. So on the way to miracles and promises, there's going to be some fight in there, and there's going to be some fights that are just made for you. But the only way to get a miracle... It's for there to be a dire situation. 
That's the only way a miracle happens. No one says it's a miracle when you open your eyes and can see, but you've seen every day you've opened your eyes. That's not a miracle. That's something that happens. It's not a miracle when you say, yeah, it's a miracle that the thing I thought was going to happen, it happened. The likelihood of that happening was good, and it did. That's not a miracle. A miracle is the unlikely thing happening. The underdog winning. Your worst trial coming to an end. And that happens when the Lord of hosts and the God of everything decides, you know what? It's time. I've already been working in the shadows. I've already been doing my work. I never quit. But now it's time to reward somebody for hanging on. It's time to reward somebody with that faith that's sustained in. Let's bring it to an end. And the end is in there. But no one and nothing can stop God when he decides it's time. Another miracle is a long-winded, I wrote this down, a long-winded speaker, Nathan Wood, being able to stay within 20 minutes. That would be a miracle if that happened tonight. We're going to need him to intervene. But uh, I, I was talking to Brother Gov earlier before we came out here, and uh, I said I love I loved being two speakers because it's just my job to get it up and get it comfortable. You and the Lord can bring it down to a landing. I just need to get it up and get the seat warm, and then you, you and the Lord will take over and just bring it on down for a landing. So uh, I'm getting close. Brother Gov, you can, you can get ready and give them hope a little bit that it's coming in. Uh, but my dad, many of you know, Brother Ward, he, uh, he told me one day something about fire, and I'll never forget it. He said, when it comes to stuff that goes through fire, two things can happen. One of two things will happen. The fire will consume it, or the fire will change it. That's the only two things that will happen. You, when, if you make it through the fire, you come through the other side changed. Yeah. Nothing, go, nothing enters the fire and is the same. So some things can't handle the fire. But the things that survive the fire, that survive the heat and the pressure, they're changed. And a lot of things that enter the heat, that enter the fire, are left in there for a, time, a, a span of time, and then it changes into what their purpose is supposed to be. You get placed in the fire, and that's where you're molded, and that's where you're changed for what you need to be. And you think about this, how a sword is made. Or we got the holidays coming up, how Thanksgiving turkey is made. Or my favorite desserts like brownies and chocolate chip cookies. You make it up, you fix it. They all spend a little time in the heat. And they come out changed. The big deal is the maker of those. The maker knows what it takes. It knows how much heat it can go in. It knows for how long it sits in the heat. And then it knows when to take it out, when it's ready. It knows when to take it out of the heat. When it's been completed and formed into what it ought to be. I don't want to get to the end of my life and not have any tests and not have any trials that I've overcome. I'm not asking for more than he wants to give me. I want just the amount that he has willed for me. I'm not asking for extras, but I want him to be able to trust me to endure the trials and tribulations that he has, that he has set before me, the tests that he has set before me. So I want him to be able to trust me to continue things and do things that I know I'm supposed to do even though it's tough times, even though I'm in a struggle. To be able to trust me to still invest in others and still encourage others even when I'm down. I wanted to be able to trust me to do the expected things and not run and hide for a, in a place and try to wait till everything passes when things get tough. So I feel, I feel as the Lord impressed me that I was given the gift of faith. And I'll tell everybody, and I've talked to my dad about this, I feel if he's given you a gift, expect to use it. 
If he's given you the gift of faith, there's probably going to be some things you got to tap into that faith and use that faith some. There's going to be some times you can't just sit up on the shelf and say, hey, I got it. You can go check it out if you want to, but we, no, we don't ever use it. If he gave it to you, you're probably going to have to tap into it in order to make it down this race that you're in. Maybe to make it down that journey that he set before you. He's given you a gift, you're probably going to have to use it. So don't be discouraged in trials and tribulations. Don't be discouraged in tough times, being in the fire, because he's equipped you to make it all the way through whatever he has set before you. So in the end, as I come to the end, I think about the end of 2020 and how much we've gone through and the uncertainty and the change that we've gone through, but we're still here. And the church is still here. And we're not just here, we're growing. Little River's growing. We got the Build My River project. We got the portico going up over here. We're about to bust this thing out. We're about to go this way. We're expanding. We're reaching. And we're growing out here. During the tough times and during, it, during uncertainty. So lastly, I go to Ecclesiastes 11 and 8. I didn't give that to him. But it's one of my favorite verses. And people are probably going to be like, why is that one of your favorite verses? Because it's a warning and it's obvious it's sitting right here in front of us. But if a man live many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for there shall be many. It's given right there to us that there will be tough times, and there's nothing that we're going to do about it. What you do about it is make it through. Keep your head down. Keep right through. Don't keep your head down. Keep your head up. Keep your head to the hills. Keep your eyes to the hills. But the tough times are going to be there. The uncertainty like 2020, it's going to be here. But that's all right because he's equipped us to be able to endure and to be able to succeed. So he never left Job and he'll never leave you. So it com he comes across all of time. He was in the beginning, he's here now, and he's already there at the end. We just have to keep going and we just have to go and all the way and receive what we, what we have rightfully been awarded. That he's already paid the price for we just have to run all the way to the end of the race and run as though to win so we may receive the prize and receive the reward that he has given to us. So in, in that, I say keep your head down. I say keep your head up. I say continue to remind yourself of what he's equipped you to do and what he's equipped you to have and for the battles that you have already faced and what you will face. He is making a way whether you see it or not. He's working in the shadows. He's working behind the scenes, and he'll work out there in the broad daylight. But he will work, and he will sustain as long as you keep your eyes on him and you stay, keep your heart toward him. And now it's my honor to bring up Brother Gov. Thank you, Brother Nate. What a good job, huh? I will keep the formalities short, Pastor. You know what this means to me. It's definitely a blessing. To my wife, you're perfect. If you didn't know that already. <laughs> Nate, after 14 years, it doesn't really get easier. It gets more expensive, but it gets better. <laughs> to my parents, thank you for being here tonight. They snuck in late. Glad to have them. If you see any good qualities in me, that's where it came from, right there. That's where it came from. So, uh, good word, Brother Nate. Very good word. And some of what I got to say tonight is going to tie into that. But I'm actually tying into what Brother Mike said Sunday, because Brother Mike inspired me. I don't know if y'all left here feeling different, but I, can, I sat through both services, and I just left here feeling better. 
just better about all of it. He, he inspired me about this, this divine detour. That's what your postponed for a purpose was his title, but really it was a divine detour was the thing that caught, caught my ear in there. And the fact that we may have missed this wreck, this bridge out of complacency by all these problems that we've thought were horrible this year, God destined us to change paths. And when I started praying about it Monday morning, the Lord started speaking to me. Because, see, I, I prepared another message because I was supposed to be last week, but the hurricane put everything back. And so when you give a green personality too much time for, to prepare, there's way too many scriptures. And there's way too many points. And it got way too complex. And I was trying to explain it to my wife, and she was, had this look on her face. And I was like, oh, no. It's, it's too big. It's too much. So I changed it. But I changed it being inspired from Brother Mike. And, and that detour, that, that path is what I started praying about. God, what's this path look like? Where does this path go? Because we got the same goal, right? We're still going to the same place. But something changed, and it was just the route. And, you know, this route doesn't look great. It doesn't look appetizing. The, the world does not look like a great place right now. Honestly, if I could describe it, it looks like a wilderness experience. It looks like a bad time. It looks like something we're not looking forward to. But it looks like there's a promised land on the other side. Am I right? See, the wilderness is good. That's a good thing. We should feel like we're in a wilderness because we're in this world but not of this world. So a wilderness is what we should feel like. Matter of fact, I bet you a lot of us didn't feel like we were in a wilderness before COVID. We probably felt comfortable in our walk with Christianity. We probably felt comfortable in our day-to-day. And I'm pretty sure my uh, notes fell out, so I'll uh, be able to read off the screen my scriptures. I just tabbed it in there, but my tabs fell. It's not a big deal. But the wilderness is, is what it looks like, and the wilderness is a good thing. We should feel like we're in a wilderness. The wilderness is a journey, and it should be a good journey. It's not going to be perfect. The landscape's not going to be nice. It's going to be different, but at the end of it, it's going to be worth it. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, 4, and 5. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That looks like a good prophecy. And so that's the prophecy of John the Baptist. John the Baptist comes later to fulfill this prophecy of the voice in the wilderness making the path straight for Jesus Christ to return. And we're looking forward to that. We're looking forward to Jesus coming back. Am I right? So the path that John was coming had a purpose. The path that he was going to walk, the path that he was going to prepare for the coming king. And we have the same purpose because we should know Jesus is coming back. And look, I fell in love with the end times as a teenager, and there is one simple way that you can say you know Jesus is getting close, and that is sin is abounding, and lawlessness is abounding. And the Bible specifically points as the Antichrist, as a spirit of sin, and the man of sin, and a spirit of lawlessness. And as it grows, grace grows, but we know we, we near the end. So we have a path for a returning king. 
And like John, we have a purpose. See, John was prophesied again from his dad in Luke 1, verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So John's purpose for that path was to show forgiveness. His, his purpose, now what Isaiah talked about, mountains and valleys, this talks about forgiveness and mercy and grace. So, so what happened there? What's, what's the relation? See, John was a herald. He was an evangelist. He was a planter of seed. And he came he across and he preached forgiveness was coming. The gospel is coming. Grace is coming. And he paved the path for Jesus Christ. So when he paved those paths, he moved mountains out of people's way. Because see, in life, we have mountains of sin and shame and problems in our life. And what John was doing, he was speaking to those mountains in people's life and saying, God will forgive those sins. God will forgive that shame. He will forgive those problems. And those mountains, they block our view of Jesus. They block our view of Calvary. But when we see forgiveness and we see grace, the mountains come down. As Isaiah said, the mountains come down and the valleys get filled. See, John was a sower. He was a planter. See, Paul said he planted and Apollos watered and God gave the increase. So that shows us the second way. If he was sowing as John, the second way we prepare the way of the Lord is watering. We have great, great examples of that, the disciples. Paul. See, the disciples cleared a path, and you're thinking, hey, they were following Jesus. They weren't leading him. No, no, they were preparing the path. You see, they probably pushed people out of the way, got people moved aside, and pushed him into buildings, lined people up to get prayed for. But how they really prepared was he instructed them, he built their faith, he performed the miraculous in front of them, and in turn, when he ascended, they took what he taught them, and they did it to the church. They instructed people. They performed the miraculous. And they watered people. See, sometimes we want to be like John and we just want to sow. We want to tell people to repent and tell people to repent. And we forget we have to water them once we get them past forgiveness. We forget we have to take them by the hand and instruct them and make the valleys fill in with miracles, the things that can't be done. When you look across a valley and you say, I, I can't do that. I, I'm sick. I can't do that. I have a mental illness. I can't do that. I have cancer. And the miraculous happens. It fills that valley in your life and makes the way straight. See, we should be make, making the straight path. I forgot to even put the title in there. Look at there. It's on the screen. So the disciples were watering. So now we're sowing. Planting, we're watering. That's two great ways. They continued planting, planting and watering and planting and watering and just grew the church, grew the church daily. They cleared the path for the coming king. And they preached the coming king. 
This grew the church rapidly because it wasn't just Jesus instructing and performing the miraculous. It was the disciples. It was the people. And if you really want to see growth, when you start walking as a disciple and watering people and praying the miraculous over people, you'll see the church grow because it brings glory to God. So we should be disciples after repentance. We should make sure we are showing people forgiveness and mercy and then instruction in the Word of God. We should also be replicating the miraculous, praying for the sick, speaking faith. It's His power and His glory on the line. I'm not scared. I'm not scared. I've seen too many miracles in my life to be scared of the miraculous. So we planted and we watered. We started clearing the path. But we can't forget there is a, a wonderful example of people preparing the way of the Lord. It's, it's, it's got to be, to me, the best example. Because in Jerusalem, close to Passover, we have what we call the triumphal entry of Jesus. Where he came through the mercy gate. And people saw him. And somebody recognized him. And they started worshiping. See, we can sow and we can water. And that does great. But we should always be worshiping. We don't know who was there that day. I'd like to know who started. I want to know the first person who cut the palm branch off. You know, I want to know. Because if it's Passover, everybody should be there. They're all supposed to go and make the sacrifice for their, bring the sacrifice for the family. So if all of Israel is there, there's a really good chance that the first person to throw their coat on the ground is blind Bartimaeus. He just came in from Jericho, and he's seen Jesus come through the mercy gate. And something happened in him when he said, there's my Savior. I didn't see him before when I was blind, but I see him now, and I'm going to worship him. See, maybe the woman with the issue of blood seen that him hanging off the side of a donkey. And she said, I'm going to worship my Savior and my King. Give me the palm branch. Let me throw it down before my Savior and my Messiah. Worship is not an option. It's not an action. It's not what you do with your body. It's what you do with your heart and your mind. I can worship in the gym. Put my headphones in. My mind goes on God. I can worship at work. What's wrong with it? You pray daily. You pray, if you can pray without ceasing, you can worship without ceasing. That's a fact. Worship should not be an option in our life. Jesus came in the mercy gate for a reason. It fulfilled prophecy. But it also showed us that the mercy gate to Calvary started with the path of praise and worship. See, their worship cleared the way. It straightened the path. It showed the way he should walk. He followed after their praises. We had an evangelist here a few years ago, and he said that, and that stuck with me. He followed after where they were praising. But from mercy to Calvary, people seen. If we would look at the miracles in our own lives like they did, we wouldn't need a song to worship. We wouldn't need a building to worship. We should just look to the inside. When we worship, we show people the glory of God and the path that was made smooth for us in our life and in turn make their doubt dry up so they can walk on dry land and find the path.
from mercy to Calvary to heaven on the promised land, straight through the wilderness. Our worship starts because we recognize him from what he did for us. See, there, somebody recognized him. You can't tell me the first person to throw their coat down didn't know who he was, and it wasn't a disciple. So somebody just in the church who wasn't a church yet recognized him and said, there's the Messiah, it's time to worship. And their recognition led to revelation from all the people around said, they're worshiping this man, they're worshiping him, they're saying he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords and Hosanna and blessed be the son of David. And their recognition led to their revelation of who the Messiah was. When we start to worship God in front of our friends and our family, we will reveal who the Lord is by our recognition. And you can stand. You can stay standing. I'm not going to ask for an altar call of conviction. But if you have a reason to worship, it's open. If you can think about all the things God has done, it's open. See, I couldn't tell you all the miracles I've seen in 35 years. Now, they can. Mom and Dad might be able to remember them. But I can't tell you all the miracles I've seen but we all have one. You see, he took a wretched sinner from a horrible place in his life and he showed me a heel. He said, that's your sin. And my dad said, God's got forgiveness for that. And my wife said, God's got grace for that. And I showed up at a church in Tickfall and Josh Payne said, there's strength through praise if you worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and lift his mighty name, the majesty of all, the creator of all, the great King of the world. The king is coming. Will you pave his way? Will you prepare the path of the king? Will you worship the king like he deserves? For the next five minutes, can we just praise? Maybe you need a miracle. Maybe you need something in your body. But if you could just find that time to worship the Lord like you've never worshipped him. He's coming into Jerusalem. He's coming in through mercy. And he's looking for your praise. He's looking for Hosanna. Hosanna. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you for watching today. If you would like to help us deliver content around the world online, please consider making a donation. Please go to littleriver.church and choose what option works best for you. Thank you and have a great day.